Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Dane Anderson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by principal analyst Leslie Joseph to discuss the growing need for the role of chief automation officer. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you for having me. So, Leslie, I feel like almost every episode, automation, AI, some form of automation comes up as a common thread in the conversation. So can you set the stage for us? What is happening in the area of automation technology that is driving this this need for a potential leader kind of overseeing everything? Sure. So I want to start by pointing out two distinct trends whose coming together kind of coincided with and in some ways even fed into uh, the ways companies' own digitization needs evolved as we went through the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you look back to 2017 or 18, uh, there were several automation technologies around, but this thing called robotic process automation or RPA was was really the, the bell of the ball, right? And sure, nobody was calling it a strategic tool for long-term growth or competitiveness or anything like that. Companies were investing in RPA rather tactically, mostly as a band-aid over legacy applications or so maybe they could postpone major capital expenses or things like that from having to modernize systems. Uh, what they were also doing, and a big driver of, of at the time for RPA was to take manpower cost out of a process. So it was fairly tactical, but the promise was really enticing. A software robot could return material savings rather quickly. Uh, of course, assuming that the business case was robust and the bot was well-designed. But the goals for this kind of automation at the time were still largely tactical, very focused on uh, cost takeout in the back office. And this is why, if you remember, some of the largest uh, RPA implementations at the time really thrived in shared services sort of constructs or finance back offices. Now, there were other technologies as well. There was you know, digital process automation or DPA. We had dynamic case management. There were rules and decision engines. Uh, we had all sorts of forms of AI and machine learning that were starting to emerge, and some of them were starting to come in their, into their own. But back then, all these automation technologies sort of lived in their own silos and had their own distinct reasons to exist and to, to be deployed. And uh, with that came their own collection of problems that they were sort of best fit or best suited to solve. Now, coming back to around maybe early 2020, what we started to see was that in the in the on the on the supply side on the in the market, we had the spate of acquisitions in the automation space, and it really began, probably to put it crudely, as a rush to acquire RPA companies. But then it slowly expanded into a broader sort of a feeding frenzy across the automation tech landscape. So we had RPA vendors buying up process mining products or themselves getting absorbed by DPA vendors or by ISVs and so on. And, you know, at, at some point, even the system integrators seem to have gotten into the game. So it seemed like there was a very early promise of some sort of great convergence for automation technologies. The other thing that was getting started at the time was, of course, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And that really boosted um, automation plans for most enterprises. I believe I wrote a report and a blog at the time predicting that the pandemic would actually accelerate uh, automation uptake and that automation would become a boardroom conversation in the aftermath of uh, the pandemic. And really that's how it panned out looking back, right? Is that business leaders started to demand, started to demand more from automation. First as a 
business continuity enabler. And then as time went by, as they saw the potential uh, later as a critical part of their digitization plans, which kind of brings us to today. So today, uh, the target automation model for companies is transformational in scope. You have uh, business leaders uh, all the way up to the C-suite and the board asking higher order questions uh, from their automation uh, leaders and their automation enablers. So things like how can automation help us create new revenue streams or serve our customers with better products or services? How can we transform our customer experience and how can we do it in a holistic and really transformational sort of way? Um, and also from a build standpoint, right? Um, they're asking, and this is probably not a uh, an explicit ask, but the intention is to move away from creating these automation silos within the company, but really cross leveraging these, con these converging and complementary technologies to create best fit solutions and platforms that really try to help firms improve their future fitness. And so there has been this buildup of in the context of everything that we spoke about before, these islands of automation that exist uh, within specific departments or specific individual techno technology sets. So for example, we have a lot of companies that have RPA COEs and those have built up uh, quite significant uh, you know, uh, bodies of, uh, of automation and they sit in maybe shared services, but that RPA COE doesn't talk to say a data science team that sits in a business function or a DPA initiative that sits in, 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 in IT. And all of these different groupings, they uh, optimize locally, right? So they see the world from within those specific swim lanes, those specific mandates, which may or may not align well with this new world, with this new set of transformation-centered asks from the CEO and the board. So that's really where the role and the conversation around the chief automation officer comes in. The chief automation officer is not just a rescoped RPA uh, COE head or uh, you know something like that, something that's just a step up from a tactical role. It's a role that is supposed to address some of these higher order questions like, you know, why are we investing in automation in the first place as a company, as a business? What are we trying to solve? for the business model, for the operational uh, value streams uh, that we own? And how do we want automation to support digitization and eventually extend our future fitness? So these are the questions uh, from a CEO level that uh, are that need to get answered. And uh, from a more operational point of view, there are a series of questions around how do we take this integrated view of automation and weave it through our value chains in ways that are, uh, of course, technology agnostic, um, and fit for purpose, but also harmonious and pervasive in ways that allow us to deploy our systems, our data, our processes and workforces as a, as a sort of a cohesive system for value delivery. Or if I state it a little differently, how can we deploy automation as a fabric for digital business? Leslie, you've written a lot about uh, automation fabric. And I imagine that, of course, plays into this trend that you're Speaking of, could you explain a little bit more about what that is and how that is impacting um, these trends? Sure. Um, so, Dane, the automation fabric is really a very important concept here, right? So think of it as the technology substrate that allows you to deploy what I said before, what I call pervasive, transformationally scoped automations that connect your systems, your processes, your data, and your workforces. Uh, and so an automation fabric really builds upon this data-driven view of the organization's processes and then builds upwards from there and downwards into the 
into the enterprise application landscape. But the upwards is really interesting because that's where uh, you build automations and automation-infused platforms that stretch across the organization, across your processes. Um, and you do this using best fit technology approaches and also with support for things like intelligent work orchestration, the infusion of AI at various levels, governance and change management, consistent value capture and value reporting, and so on. So that whole sort of setup, that whole technology substrate, which includes uh, at the most basic level, your existing and modern enterprise landscape, but also a layer of process excellence, which might include things like process mining, uh, process modeling and documentation tools, uh, and then the automation layer that is supported by work orchestration that then in turn supports a variety of constituents uh, out there across your workforce. So you have human workers, which may be uh, full-time employees, they may be gig workers, they may be contingent workers, and then you have non-human workers. Um, so your uh, software robots, your AI agents, and maybe at some point in the future, your physical robots as well, your, uh, your um, service workers kind of uh, support. Uh, all of this needs to get tied together and woven together in ways that are thoughtful and harmonious. And that's really where the, uh, the automation fabric, the automation fabrics of today are starting to evolve. And that's where the real value comes because what we are inherently saying without being too explicit is the, the idea that, you know, today digitization is at a sort of a 2.0 stage where you've had the first um, epoch of digitization the last 10 years, which was great while it was uh, while it was uh, going strong, but then it kind of plateaued. So we saw this S curve. Uh, it rose during the, I guess, the um, middle of the, la the last decade. And then now it's kind of plateaued where conventional digital technologies are not able to drive uh, the needle further in terms of the impact that they're producing on the business. So we talk about digital sameness, and that's really what we've ended up in. Uh, whereas now we are starting this new S-curve of digitization and all of the technologies that are driving this uh, are automation technologies. So that's why this, this idea and thinking about automation in this holistic manner and in the context of the automation fabric is going to be really important for uh, companies as they plan their next phase of digitization. So to me, it sounds like the automation fabric is a, is a great enabler that allows greater centralized leadership or ownership of automation. But can can you talk a little bit more about um, who the current automation leaders are today? So Dane, in my report, I identify four archetypes within which a majority of automation leadership tends to fall. Uh, these four, and I can walk you through them. The first is uh, what I was calling IT-oriented leaders. So leaders of this archetype, they typically roll up to the CIO's organization. These are Folks who really understand ID processes, they understand the SDLC, the software development lifecycle, uh, they understand the organization's technology landscape, and obviously they come from an IT background. Where they struggle is the fact that they are, well, they're, they're sometimes either at an arm's length from the business or, you know, just coming from an IT legacy, they lack a formal appreciation of process-centric thinking. So they often face challenges in getting this widespread buy-in from the business units, um, or in some cases, their approach is just not that of a true partnership based on the understanding of how business works, but that of spec taking. You know, so one of the complaints that I hear so often from this kind of archetype is, hey, we took this tool and we went to the business and asked them to suggest candidate processes that we could automate, but they couldn't give us good processes that were meaty enough. Um, you know, so that it, 
typifies the whole problem with this archetype. The second archetype that I identify is the business-oriented leader. And these folks are really interesting because they usually come from a line of business function or business operations or occasionally the IT team that reports into a business. And I've generally seen these kind of leaders uh, they're really passionate, right? They often have an MBA um, or they're trained in project management. They don't come in from come from classical IT. Uh, and um, in some sense, to that extent, they are the inverse of the previous archetype. They're really passionate about creating value for the business, uh, about solving pain points that uh, that exist big and small in core business functions. They really understand and get the domain and the nuances of each business process. But they often tend to have these really counterproductive run-ins with enterprise IT just because of the fact that the rhythms of working between IT and uh, these uh, this archetype just they don't co- they don't coincide very well. Uh, they also struggle in some sense to evolve out of running a bunch of hey we solve this problem for you kind of automations and towards actually building and scaling complex automation programs and platforms for the business. The third archetype. Um, sits in shared services functions. Now, these folks, they really get tactical scale. So they may often have a grounding in things like process excellence or business improvement or change management or um, Lean and Six Sigma. Uh, they often have the, the, the experience set that, uh, you know, in running large back office uh, setups in areas like finance. But where these leaders hit a ceiling is because of just where they sit within the organization and because their mandate itself is so operational and efficiency focused. So they lack either the visibility or the permission to elevate automation into that strategic conversation that should ideally be a C-level, uh, CEO-level uh, conversation. Um, and I think what I've seen as a bit of a worrying trend is that such leaders, the ones that I speak to at least, even struggle with being able to eff- effectively capture the value of their automation initiatives to the business beyond the more tactical cost savings or headcount kind of focused um, uh, numbers. And then there's a fourth archetype. Uh, The fourth archetype is really interesting, Dane, because these are finance-oriented leaders. They report to the CFO's organization. And this cohort, while they don't really claim to have any sort of real depth in terms of operational knowledge or in terms of knowing how IT works. But what they do really appreciate uh, is business processes looked through the looked at through the lens of finance and budgeting. So these people bring budgetary control and uh, they're obviously independent from IT. They kind of sit a little two steps before or above uh, the IT function in some sense. So they can uh, take that outside in view and focus on what really matters to the business. You know, these are the show me the money guys, uh, if I may. But uh, I have really, well, people who fit this archetype, to be honest, they're not they're not very common. So these are the four archetypes that I've seen um, out there. And while the archetypes, all of these archetypes have several really strong examples to their name of people who filled these shoes and created really a ton of impact for their organizations at their own level. But if I may use the uh, sailing metaphor here, each of these archetypes would be a vital member of your crew, but on their own, they aren't capable enough of being the best captains or skippers uh, for your for your ship. I also wanted to mention here one of the leaders that I quoted in my report said something really interesting. This was the chief automation officer of a company called Quality Kiosk. And his observation was that there is this, this implicit execution bias within most organizations uh, as far as automation is concerned. 
And unless this is balanced out by some sort of a broader overarching mandate and conviction from the top, the default tendency in most uh, organizations is to hire, um, say, an automation architect when they should really be hiring a leader, hiring more strategically and thoughtfully for, for a more leadership oriented role. So maybe that explains the gap a little bit. Well, so let's dig into that a little a little bit more, Leslie. I mean, what are the most important skill sets that the chief automation officer should have if none of those four archetypes are kind of nailing it, right? I'm sure maybe it's a combination of skill sets from those four. Um, clearly someone who needs to be able to be strategic and orchestrate across the organization. But what, what in your opinion, are the, the most important skill sets here? I think there are six key skills. Um, I wrote about five and I didn't write about the sixth one. So I'll tell you the sixth one on this podcast. So this is kind of a podcast exclusive, if you will. But uh, the five skills that I spoke about were, the, were A, a transformational mindset. So a chief automation officer fundamentally comes with a transformational bent uh, in terms of the way that they approach um, building out an automation portfolio. So, so they are not by definition incrementalists. They understand the linkage between automation and data initiatives and business strategy. And they are able to think in terms of kind of the systems and uh, interconnections between these systems rather than just uh, trying to optimize from a local perspective. That's the first one. Uh, secondly, they are very strong product leaders. And this makes sense, right? Because a CAO, a chief automation officer, at the end of the day is not the same as a COE leader in the sense that they are not building just a curated collection of point automations. They are, in fact, instrumental in shifting the focus away from a collection of automations towards these enterprise-wide automation platforms and assets with reusability and governance and distinct roadmaps and customer value propositions. And all of this fundamentally sits, uh, comes down to a strong ability to think like a product leader and build out automation as a product and platform portfolio across uh, the organization. Third, uh, the third skill set is process leadership. Um, this is a little overlooked usually, but the reality is that process excellence forms a bedrock for automation and for the automation fabric. And so being able to understand uh, the first principles of how processes work and how data-driven approaches and tools that exist today really feed into that data-driven view of an organization's processes and then kind of being able to scale that up across the organization to say that here's a consistent view of a process. Um, now we can standardize it, we can re-engineer it, and we can automate it as required, either for efficiency or for innovation. That's a key part of um, this role and being able to guide that thinking across the business units and across the rest of the organization is something that this leader needs to do. I think if I may think about the target structure uh, or talk about the target structure and the collaborations that this uh, leader needs to make across the organization, there are areas like, for example, culture transformation is a partnership between this leader and uh, you know, the head of EX or you know a digital alignment is a is a partnership between this leader and whoever heads transformation or digital the chief digital officer maybe but process leadership is something that is core to this function and needs to be directly owned and driven by this leader themselves um, the fourth capability the fourth skill set is really technology alignment and this is kind of important because 
the uh, the chief automation officer may not necessarily be an IT, uh, you know, may not have an IT background, but they should have a vast curiosity about new technologies and uh, emerging tech and how they can be applied in unique and innovative configurations. So in some sense, there is a bit of an overlap between our target CIO persona and this uh, individual. But at the same time, this individual, uh, you know, doesn't need to be steeped in IT, but it helps if they have some understanding of how IT works, how the rhythms of IT work, and is able to work effectively with IT. Because what will happen over time is that as they build out these large, uh, complex technology portfolios uh, to support automation, uh, the automation fabric itself becomes a bit of a technology platform for the enterprise. And so it needs to transition to uh, have a long-term home within uh, the CIO's organization where they can be managed as an enterprise-wide technology platform. So that's a process. And for that, you know, there should be really strong alignment between uh, the chief automation officer and uh, the CIO. The fifth skill set is storytelling. That's something people don't talk about too much. But look, at the end of the day, it goes hand in hand with the idea of transformation, right? The chief automation officer, like any transformation leader, is fundamentally and implicitly a storyteller. They are evangelizers, but they also are politically savvy. So they're able to bring people on board to drive outcomes. And they are able to tell those value stories at different levels of, of the organization. Today, a lot of the COE leader types are really adept at telling value stories at an operational level, which is where the whole tactical conversation comes up. But that's not what your CEO wants to hear. So being able to straddle this entire spectrum of storytelling is something that uh, the chief automation officer uh, should do really well. And I promised you uh, a sixth one, which was not in the report. Uh, I think if there's one more skill set, uh, more of a quality that this chief automation officer must, must embody, it is empathy. At the core of it, automation and pervasive automation across the enterprise is it differs from your typical uh, IT implementation or uh, you know technology implementation because it is so core to the culture and the workforce and the working rhythms of the organization so there's a huge amount of change there's a huge amount of uh, in some cases fear or lack of trust among people because automation directly affects their jobs their roles their careers um, and their skill sets and the value, uh, you know, the use of those and the value of those skill sets within uh, the organization. So it's really important for the chief automation officer to be that beacon of empathy, to really think about not just about automation, not just about technology, not just not just about bots, but also just about people. Yeah, that's a great point, and it's a big uh, concern, as you say. Um, th that's a whole big blend of skills, Leslie, and it's not an easy, those aren't easy shoes to fill, but, um, uh, but you hinted at this, but my question is, where do you see this sitting within the organization? The role of the chief automation officer is under development, it's, you know, under construction as they used to have, uh, used to write on old websites. It's not a role that exists out there that you can just look for, pick up and bring in. And in some sense, it's, it reminds me of how, you know, uh, back at the dawn of digital, we were, when we were hiring chief digital officers, digital as a concept itself was so new. We didn't know what skill sets we needed to look for, right? We just figured that out along the way. And so the, the earliest of chief digital officers that got hired in that role or in some variant of that role, they didn't come from a digital background. We just, we were just assembling skill sets rather than uh, picking bullet points from from a resume. And so from in that context, I think it's really 
Um, you know, I've spoken about five skill sets and well, the sixth skill set as separate and distinct, but it's really like, you know, gin and tonic or apple pie and ice cream. It's that strange and elusive combination of skill sets where the magic really happens. Um, and so to get those individuals, uh, CEOs need to search uh, a little differently, a little creatively across uh, maybe within the organization or, or externally. But then once they hire that role, uh, the role should ideally report to the chief uh, executive officer, the CEO. Now, this may not always be feasible for various reasons. Either, you know, um, the, there are already too many people reporting to the CEO or maybe there is a more business aligned role uh, mandate for this individual. So what I have seen is that in most cases, the chief automation officer uh, reports to the chief operating officer. Or in some cases, increasingly, I'm starting to see them report to the chief digital officer in organizations where the CDO, uh, the chief digital officer, is the person most critical to the transformation effort. What matters is ultimately that is that the reports, reporting structure must be aligned with the leader who is both structurally as well as politically the most critical, the most core to the organization's uh, transformation mandate. So you built a pretty good case for this role. What's your bold call here? What are you predicting? We love predictions at Forrester. What are you predicting? We'll see maybe in the coming year, the coming, you know, two to five years. Is this role going to be common? What are your thoughts, Leslie? Okay, let's put in some numbers here. My prediction is that over the next three years, at least 10% of the Fortune 500 will have a chief automation officer. Now, let me caveat that. They may not be explicitly called a chief automation officer. In a lot of cases, my sense is that either the chief operations officer or the chief digital officer, the head of digital, will have an additional mandate that is specifically focused around automation. But what will happen in a lot of these organizations is that uh, I'm starting to see a distinct trend of CFOs directly demanding automation-focused uh, metrics to be a part of the KPIs of their business units. And so I think that is going to be a very big enabler for uh, the growth of this role, whatever you may call it, but this role and this mandate is going to be increasingly critical for most organizations as automation starts to become really the next uh, the next great transformation driver across, uh, across enterprises. And Les, do you think this will be a transitional role or do you think it will last? Sometimes when, uh, for example, the chief digital officer role, when we spoke about this at Forrester years ago, we viewed it as a way to get some things unstuck and to evangelize and to drive more digital um, innovation and breakthroughs. And then there was a feeling that it would blend into other existing roles. With the chief automation officer, do you see the same thing or do you think this is a role that's going to continue out into the foreseeable future? I think it's going to continue. And I think what is most likely to happen is that there's going to be a convergence at some level between the chief automation officer's role and the chief digital officer's role. Uh, given how uh, consistent and uh, intersecting the paths are for uh, digital and for automation at this point, it sounds logical that you would want to have a common and consistent view uh, within the organization's digital framework uh, around automation. And so my sense is there will be a certain level of convergence and the automation mandate is here to stay for sure. Thanks so much for joining us today, Leslie. 
Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, be sure to check out our upcoming Technology and Innovation APAC event happening live in Sydney and online November 15th and 16th. To learn more, visit for.com slash TIAPAC22. That's forr.com slash TIAPAC22. Thanks for listening.